So Zane this morning is going to read to us from Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Yet it was, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me to help the needs once and, and again. Amen. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word. You may be seated. This week sometime, when you, when you have a chance, I'd like for you to Google coronavirus and mental health. You see, we're not just in a health crisis, and we're not just in the midst of an economic crisis. We're also in the midst of a mental health crisis. In fact, there's, there's one uh, hotline, crisis hotline, that's operated by the federal government, that said they, and they said by their statistics, they've seen a 1,000% uptick in the number of people that have called trying to receive help. And I think the reason for that is that right now we're dealing with fear, and we're different, deal, dealing with fear on a, a thousand different levels. That for some, they're fearful and afraid that they're going to die or that somebody that they love is going to die. On another level, some people are fearful that they're going to lose their rights as the government figures out how to manage this. Uh, yet another level is that there are, are people who fear that they're going to lose their livelihood businesses they've spent their whole life building or jobs that they've had for the last 20 years seem to be as though they might be playing out right in front of them. And so there is this level of fear that comes in. And, and for some people, it's more than one of those at the same time. And then you have this compounding reality that not only are we facing fear, not only are we possibly facing fear on multiple different levels, but we're also facing isolation. That we're having to, to cope with all of these fears in the midst of an isolation. And wherever you have fear in isolation, you have hopelessness, right? Now think about my, my wife's grandmother right now. She's in a nursing home in Ashland and she turns 90 in November. Well, we, she is, the family is unable to care for her. She has to be cared for in the nursing home. And yet our fear is, is that right now all we can do is go up to the window and wave at her. That's how she met Josiah, her great-grandson, right? And so our fear is, is that her 90th birthday is going to come. And all we're going to be able to do is wish and sing her happy birthday through the window. I, th I can think about people in our church that have diseases and disabilities that are not even related to COVID-19. And they're having to go into the hospital and cope with those totally secluded from family members that are their caregivers, people that they need uh, their help. So they're... There's plenty of space, plenty of cracks right now where hopelessness can come in. And this is just one of the ways that I think that we can highlight the mission that God has given to us, that God has given us the mission of the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. We, we translate it like this, that it's our mission to make maturing and multiplying disciples to the ends of the earth. And, and in essence, what that mission is, is it's a mission to rid the world of hopelessness, to rid the world of hopelessness. That the gospel is good news to the hopeless, right? And we know that one day that Jesus is going to return, and upon Jesus' return and the consummation of the kingdom, that all hopelessness will be vanquished. But even here, in the here and now, the gospel comes and finds people in the midst of hopelessness that, that seems as though there's no way left or right, up or down. And it finds them. It finds them. And it changes their perspective, and it transforms their life, and it brings them into the life of a community. 
that not only does Jesus give us a mission, he gives us a method. He gives us a methodology on how to achieve that mission. We call it a discipleship process, right? And, and, and so in the process, Jesus is transforming us more and more into the image of who he would have us to be. And as Jesus transforms us, he is transforming our position, our perspective in his kingdom that we might, we might live a more hopeful life. And in the process, using us to help transform the lives of other people so that they can experience the same thing. We, we frame that up as connect, disciple, go. That as these realities come to bear in your life, you mature in the faith. You're transformed in the faith. Your hope, your optimism, your joy, all of those things increase in Christ so much so that you're a part of his kingdom building here on earth. And so we're going to be focusing on that over the next few weeks. And today specifically, we're going to be looking at connection. And we're going to be looking at connection to see if we can figure out how it is that we can move past just this surface level, makeup covering, fake smile connection that we have as we come into the door. That we might have a hope-giving, life-giving, joy-inducing connection that transforms us and transforms other people. Now, all right, so... There might be an elephant in the room. We have a TV here, and I'm going to do something that's a little bit different, okay? Um, I'm going to actually be drawing on the text. And what I, the reason that I'm doing that is, first of all, it's not to show you how smart I am because you'd be quite disappointed about that. And it's also not to show you how cool our technology is because it's really not that revolutionary. Instead, what I want to do every week is I want to help you bridge the gap between what the point is and the text, right? Because the, the point only has power... It only has hope, it only offers true help if it, insofar as it is connected to the text, right? And I think sometimes there's so much information coming at us that it's hard for us to build the bridge between the scripture and what's being said. So I'm going to try to draw that out on the, uh, in the passage kind of as we go along and help you hopefully, 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 if it's done with some form of mediocrity at least, it'll help you be able to, to bridge those gaps and maybe slow things down a bit. So it's this type of connection that we see that's being modeled in Paul's relationship with the church at Philippi. That the church at Philippi has a relationship with Paul that is not surface level, that in fact it goes quite deep. It's, it's not just us going through the motions and coming to Sunday school and calling that a connection, right? It's one that, that transforms their worldview. It's one that changes the way they relate to each other, the way they, the way they go about their business, the what they're willing to sacrifice, what they're willing to live out in the course of their lives. And so the first thing that I want you to notice is that connection is sharing lives with one another. That connection is sharing lives with one another. There's actually a point being made here that I don't think the ESV and, and really a lot of the translations do very well at drawing out. Now, you'll notice that it says in verse 14, Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Now, remember why he says yet. Okay, so this is flowing out of that really famous passage where Paul, he says, I know, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. I have learned this in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret to facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, right? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And so Paul is making this point about radical contentment in Christ. But then he says in verse 14, yet, yet, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Yet it was kind of you that you didn't even make me endure with that kind of contentment. That though I am content in Christ, though I'm satisfied in Christ, though I know how to abound and I know how to be hungry and I know how to have very little because of your kindness, because of your generosity, because of, of your love for me. 
I didn't even have to experience that. Now, what's unique about the word share, if you'll look in the footnotes of your Bible, probably what you'll see there is that there's a footnote about the word share, and it says fellowshipping. That the root word there, koinoneo, is actually the word from which we get fellowship. So think about how this changes the way that you think about this verse. Not just sharing in my troubles, you're fellowshipping with me in my troubles. Or it could actually quite literally be translated in connecting with me in my troubles. Yet it was kind of you to share in my troubles. Yet it was kind of you to fellowship with me in my burden. Yet it was kind of you to, to connect with me in all of the hardships and all of the difficulties and all of the hunger and all of the, the need that I am experiencing in my, in my ministry. And then in verse 15, it advances this point. Now, Let's read it together. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Partnership has the same root word. It also means to fellowship with, to be connected to, right? In, in, in the process of, of accomplishing a task. So, so no church entered into fellowship with me. No church connected themselves to me like you did. No church entered in and walked through my hardship. No church walked through my suffering. No church walked through my famine with me the way that you did. That we are bound together. We are fellowshipping together. Now, one of the things that I want you to understand when you study the Bible is that the Bible always applies theological truth, okay? Here's what I mean by that. You, you, you never have, I think sometimes when we think about like the gospel and then we think about like real life problems, right? And so sometimes like people are like, I wish my pastor would just talk to me about real life problems and stop talking to me so much about theology. But what we see when we study guys like Paul is that there is nothing more practical than good theology. That that's actually a point that Paul is able to drive home that I think is really helpful. And here what we're seeing in verses 14 and 15 is something that is very, very practical, right? You're stepping into my need, and then you're meeting my need. You're actually giving and receiving, right? But it's flowing out of a theological reality. It's flowing out of something that he said all the way back in chapter 1. Now remember, this letter would have been read all at one time the first time the church would have heard it. When, when Epaphras, Epaphroditus went home and he read this to, to all the, the, the Christians there at Philippi, it would have been read at one time. So they're, they're making these connections in their minds of what's being said. And this word, this word that, that means to be connected with, to be fellowshiped with, the word we see in share and partnership shows up in verse 7 of chapter 1. And it's revealing a theological reality that is beautiful and wonderful and powerful. Listen to what it says. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. If you look at the footnotes in chapter 1, it's going to say the same thing. Fellowshipping, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You hear what he's saying? That we are bound together. That we have been bonded, glued together, connected to one another. How? Grace, by grace, that you and I have both experienced the same grace. And that grace didn't just give us access to our Heavenly Father. That grace has now bonded us with one another. That grace has connected. So, so we are fellowshipping together in grace. We are fellowshipping together in the good news of the gospel. We are fellowshipping. All right, so this is this rich theological reality, right? And what, we, what we're able to see, my handwriting's not great right there, is there's a connection here between the theological and the practical. That the theological always leads 
to the practical. That, that what I believe about God and what I know about God and what I become convinced of about God and how God reveals himself, that's what affects how I live. That's, how I, that's what affects how I view you. That, that's what affects my relationship with you. And so the reason, the reason that they share in troubles, the reason that they partner in giving and receiving is because first and foremost, they share in grace. They partner in grace. They've been bound, they, they're, they're, they've been overcome, right? So again, what does it mean to be connected? I want us to think about that. What does it mean to be connected? Does it mean that we just attend the same church? Does it mean that we just know one another's names? Does it mean that we just meet in the same room a lot together, that we go to the same connection group together? Does it mean that we just have similar worldviews or maybe we align with a, a particular political ideology? Is that what it means to connect? Is it, is it because we all like college football or we all just happen to live in the Chocolaca Valley? Like, like, what is it? Have you ever stopped to think, like, what is it that actually connects us together? I would say, I would say that those things can contribute to connection but they're insufficient in and of themselves. That, that in, when life gets hard, when, when life in the church gets hard, when your faith becomes difficult, when, when you become depressed, when you become lonely, when you become anxious, when you become fearful, when you start figuring out how it is that you're gonna, you're gonna navigate all the, different, all the information that's coming at us right now and all of us coming down on different sides of what that should look like, in that case, a, a college football team is not enough to hold us together. Knowing information about one another, that's not enough to hold us together. What has to hold us together is grace. What has to hold us together is grace. That connection is deeper than that. Connection is sharing your lives with one another. The best way I know to describe that is it's the difference between being a roommate and being a husband. It's the difference between being a roommate and a husband. When I sit down with a married couple, which I think is incredibly courageous when they'll come and, and we can walk through hardships together, right? When I sit down with a married couple, it's not uncommon for them to say this. You know, we've been together for so long. We go to work. We come home. And I just feel like I have a roommate. I don't feel like I have a husband. I don't feel like I have a wife. I just feel like I have a roommate. Somebody to share the bills with. Somebody that I know a lot of stuff about. Somebody that I have a long history with. But there's no real connection. So you can share a home, you can share bills, you can share a heritage, you can know lots of information and not have a connection. And we know already what that means, don't we? We know what we mean by that. Y'all, how often does that describe our relationship in the church? How often does that describe our relationship with our body of believers that maybe we fund missionaries together? Maybe we fund mission trips together. Maybe we, fund, maybe we fund great commission ministries all over Calhoun County and youth ministry together. We come and we have a, a building together and we meet regularly together and we know a lot of information about one another. But let me ask you, is there a connection? Is there a connection? Because grace is calling us for, to something deeper. Grace is calling us to something more beautiful. You see... To be connected is to share who I am. I want you to see how this works out in Paul's life. Paul says, it was kind of you to share my trouble. We're right, who I am right here. Why? What is implied if they shared in Paul's trouble? What does that mean? Paul told him his, his troubles, right? He told them his troubles. 
They couldn't have known that Paul was facing famine. They couldn't have known that Paul was facing hardship. They couldn't have known that Paul, that Paul was facing a shortfall and a deficit unless Paul was vulnerable with them. And what's extraordinary about Paul is Paul's like so many of us. It's hard for him. It's unnatural for him to have to go and to say, I'm struggling. I'm having a hard time. You know how he frames this up in 2 Corinthians when he talks about the church at Philippi? He says, I'm robbing them. In 2 in Corinthians chapter 8, he says, they are in their poverty. They are in famine. They are suffering. And they're giving to me. I am robbing this church. And yet they give to me joyfully and cheerfully as an example of, of gospel love. So Paul had to be vulnerable. He had to open up and say, look, I don't have it all figured out. I, I'm not self-sufficient. I can't provide enough for myself. I'm not, I don't have enough strength in and of them of itself. And all of these things work against the nature of who, who we are. And I think all of these are a picture as to how grace is calling us to be more than roommates. Do you know why? Do you know why we don't share more? Do you know why it is that we come in with our stair-step family holding hands and smiling like we just sang Kumbaya the whole way to church while we were almost cussing each other? Do you know why we do that? Because of shame. Because of shame. Because we believe that if we are vulnerable with somebody else, if we're honest with them, it's going to add to our shame. That, that, that it's going to lower their opinion of us. That it's going to make it look like we don't fit in with the rest. That we are inadequate for as a mother or inadequate as a dad or, or that we, we aren't leading our families well or that we, we aren't the, the picture of Christian harmony and Christian charity as a family. But do you know what the glory of grace is? Your shame has already been overcome. Your shame has already been overcome. Think about this. You stand before God himself. A God who is holy. A God who knows every desire of your heart. Every, every thought of your mind. Every motive in your life. Every action that you've actually committed. And because of Jesus. Because Jesus took all of that junk. All of your shame. All that you have done. And he took it and he put it upon himself. And gave you all of his righteousness. You stand before that God. And you know what he's going to say on the day that you are with him in his presence? Well done my good and faithful servant. There's no condemnation there. There's acceptance. There's an embrace. There's love. There's a bond of grace, right? A bond of grace right there. Here's what that means. If we can stand before God himself, who knows all, who is actually holy and knows everything unholy about us without shame, how is it we cannot stand with a fellow sinner that's been saved by grace without shame? If we're going to have a church that is transformative, if we're going to be a body of believers that is about eliminating and ridding the world of hope, then we have to embrace the good news that our shame has been removed. And so now, now I can be real with you. Now I can tell you what a train wreck I am, right? I can tell you about all the, the, the problems that I have and how impatient I am and how temperamental I am and, and how anxious I become and how, how I battle with unbelief. I can tell you, like I've told some brothers in the past, about how my battle with depression, right? Which feels so taboo for a man that's supposed to love God, right? I can be real with you. 
I can, I can, I can put myself out and I can say this. This is who I am. And y'all, 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 this is the vision behind groups at Iron City. We're not there yet, but I want us to be. I want us to be, and I'm calling for us to be. Can we just stop pretending? Can we just stop pretending like we've got it figured out? No, connection groups, community groups, D groups, what they're about is about forming a brotherhood, about forming something that enables you to be able to be real and be vulnerable. And when you're real and vulnerable, you'll feel yourselves being drawn together in a connection. Now think about this from Paul's perspective. So from our Philippi's perspective. So from Paul's perspective, to be connected is to share who I am, right? From Philippi's perspective, to be connected is to share what I have, to share what I have. Look at, what, look at how they respond. Partnership with me in giving and receiving, right? In giving and receiving. So, they, so Philippi sees Paul's struggle. They hear Paul's struggle. You know what they say? Not, well, man, I feel bad about that. I hate that. I wish, I wish you wouldn't, weren't experiencing that. No, you know what they said? Let me step up to the plate. Let me, let me give. And what's amazing about this from Philippi's perspective is they had nothing. They were poor. They were impoverished. They were famine-stricken. The picture that I have in my mind is moms. I mean, I, I think moms are superheroes, right? Like, so in our house, the way it plays out a lot is Megan is worried to death. And I think this is a mom thing. Like, Megan's worried to death that we're all going to starve to death. Like, she's always worried that we're, we're all going to be hungry, right? And so she'll feed Josiah, and she'll feed the girls, and then she'll make sure I have something to eat. And then she'll sit down, and it's like, whew, right? I said, what did you eat? Oh, man, I forgot. I'm like, how did you forget to eat? I never would forget to eat, right? But it's because of the self-giving nature of, of motherhood, isn't it? Because of the self-giving nature where you say, you know what, as long as all of you eat, I'm okay. I'm okay. I feel like that's what you have going on here with Philippi. Here they are, and they are struggling. And they take, and from their struggle, from their pain, from their poverty, they alleviate Paul's struggle. They alleviate his pain. They share in his trouble. They are the mom that forgets to eat themselves. They say, no, 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 no. Christ laid down his life. Paul is advancing the gospel for the hope of the world. He is ridding the world of, of hopelessness. We, we are bound to him in grace, bound to him in love. Let us give. Do you see the picture of Jesus there? There's a picture of Jesus, isn't it? There's a picture of Jesus when we are willing to endure suffering for the sake of alleviating suffering. That's what Christ did. And so what we see here is this call forward, call forward to this not surface level connection, but rather a connection like Philippi, I'll miss a meal for you. Is that spirit among us? Is that spirit among us? Let's not settle. Let's refuse to sell, settle for a lesser joy. Let's refuse to settle for, for a version of the church that is cheaper than the one that Christ has purchased and is building. No, let's not settle for acquaintances when Christ has purchased for us a brotherhood. And so what you see as we move forward is you see that even among the early church, this is extraordinary. 
This kind of connection, this, this, this level of, of I'm in, I'll suffer so that you don't suffer. I'll, I'll, I'll give so that you have. Look at what he says. Verse 15, he says, no church entered into partnership with me except you only. So do you see that? It's exceptional. This kind of connection is exceptional. Th- this kind of connection is not natural. It's supernatural. Th- this kind of connection is spirit wrought. It's grace bought. It's brought about by the gospel. This is why it's good news. And this is what the gospel is calling you and I. This is what the gospel is calling Iron City to. Now realize, no other church is doing this in the region. So think about what that means. They're not jumping into the flywheel of momentum here, right? They're not following in, following in line with all the other examples that are around them. No, they're saying, you know, regardless of what we see, regardless of what everybody else does, regardless of what we know, we love Paul. We are connected to Paul. We are bound by grace with Paul. So let us go. Let us give. They're taking responsibility right? They're taking initiative. And that's what I want you to see. Connection is taking responsibility for one another. Connection is taking responsibility for one another. It's, it's taking upon yourself the responsibility to forge relationships and bonds with those that, that God has brought into your faith community. It's taking the initiative to enjoy the bond that Jesus has purchased. You know, one of the most mind-jarring realities of the gospel is that it's not by your initiative. It's by God's. That, that, that God doesn't come and save you because you're running after him and pursuing him and looking for him. In fact, if you would say, but I did pursue God, that is because the Spirit was drawing you and the Spirit was convicting you, right? Romans chapter 3 says there is none that seek after God. None. That you are a child of God without shame and without condemnation because God came looking for you. Because God wanted you. Because God accepted you. Because God pursued you. So think about how that lives now in the life of those of us who carry his name. Those of us who live in his way. Those of us that have been called to live according to the ethic of the gospel. It is anti-gospel to come and to sit on the back row and dare somebody to talk to you and say, and say, well, nobody's going to connect with me today. Nobody's going to talk with me today. It's anti-gospel. Because, because it's, set, it's setting up your fellow partaker of grace for failure. Instead, instead, the gospel calls us to take responsibility for our connections, to show initiative in our connections, to go and to pursue relationships, to pursue friendships. And doggone it, it ought to not be very hard in the church, but it is. And so it means pursuing it again and again. It's showing grace when a relationship doesn't go the way that you want it to and going in and continuing to seek out friendships even if it's with other people or with a different group. It's continuing to, to press forward and to lean deeper into the grace, into the gospel. See, there are best friends here that are waiting to be made. Have you ever thought about that? You know, John mentioned it in his video, but it's my experience too. Like, my best friends are a part of our church and you know, I, I give that we are probably a bit more woven into the fabric of the everyday life of the church. But I think that's a, a snapshot into the way it should look for all believers. That, that the intention is for all believers to find and forge 
friendships, bonds, connections in the life of the church that live out into the rest of, that leak out into the rest of their lives. Think about this. Every week, depression comes in our doors. Every week. Every week, anxiety comes in our doors. Every week, fear comes in our doors. Every week, loneliness comes in. Every week, overwhelmed moms come in. Every week, discouraged dads come in. Every week, the empty nester feels like they've lost their place in life comes in. Every week, somebody comes in with a diagnosis that you're not aware of. Every week, people are coming in and they're coming in burdened. And they're coming in and they're feeling as though they are lonely in a room crowded with hundreds of people. That breaks my heart. That breaks my heart. That we don't feel like we can, we can open up to one another. That we don't feel like we can we can have that kind of initiative that we live under the bondage of that kind of shame you see there are gaps between us sometimes it's a gap because of of our background because of our our worldview our political ideology our ethnicity whatever it is right there are gaps age gaps there you know millennials see world differently than the greatest generation right Grace has built a bridge. That's the point. That's the point. Grace has built a bridge between sharing my troubles and partnershiping, partnering with me. Grace has built a bridge. Grace has built a bridge that overcomes every one of those gaps. Grace has built the bridge that can overcome enough gap that you have a Jewish evangelist now beloved by a Gentile congregation. A Jewish evangelist who even believes he is robbing a Gentile congregation. You, you have a man who is, who, is, who is filled with hardship and is poverty stricken and is trying to advance the, the gospel and do all this, all this work for, for the good of the great commission and then you have these, these, these people over here that are like, I have nothing but I want to help grace builds the bridge, right? grace builds the bridge between Paul's struggle and Philippi's partnership and grace builds the bridge among us grace builds the bridge between the young mom and the mom who's been there Grace builds the bridge between the person who comes in isolation and hopelessness, between the person who is looking for a place to express their love. Grace builds the bridge so that the, the person that is, that is struggling and hungry can be fed, that there are both needs and the means to meet those needs within a single community because of grace. Because of grace. I thought about that this week. I was, I was studying to prepare this, and... On Wednesday, I think it was, Andrew came in and he said, you know, he said, man, I did not sleep last night. I said, well, tell me what's going on. And he said, I, I spent all night long worried about Jeffrey. See, Jeffrey, he's our, our, the pastor friend that we have that we partner with in Swaziland. Or they, they've renamed it Eswatini now, right? And Jeffrey's had to move his family. He's got two young kids and a young wife. And he's had to move his family out to a very remote place where there's no, there's no paved roads in or out. I've been there and stood on the property. It's, it's spectacular, but it is remote. And he has no access to, on his property to clean water. So every morning at the crack of dawn, Jeffrey gets a wheelbarrow and he rolls it down to the closest watering hole and he fills up that wheelbarrow with water and he rolls it back to his family and that's their water for the day. And he has to get up early because if he doesn't get up early, the cows will beat him to the watering hole and they'll muddy it up and pollute it. And so the only way to get unpolluted water is to beat the cows down into 
the water. And so the problem with that is, is we could build a well on his property, right? Except the well there is $7,000 to put on his property. That's a lot of money in the U.S., but probably any family in our church, that's a significant sum of money. But in Swaziland, you know what that is? Five years' wages. Five years' wages. $1,500 would be an above-average wage for a, a man in Swaziland a year. And so Andrew said, man, I was worried to death about him. Like I, I just, you know what I thought? That's it. That's it. That's the kind of connection that we see in Philippians chapter 4. What we see in Philippians chapter 4 is grace building a bridge that can span the breadth of the Atlantic. What we see is grace building a bridge that is able to overcome all these worldview barriers and ethnic barriers and socioeconomic barriers. We see grace building a bridge so that a man here in middle class America can stay up at night worried and broken hearted for a poor man in Africa. And you're struggling. And you're struggling. And grace has a, it can build a bridge, has built a bridge for you too. And the, the call of the gospel is for us to take responsibility for one another and to walk that bridge. To pursue those relationships, to pursue those connections with one another so that we can overcome all of these things. And you see, you see, that's why, that's why we can't settle for cheap acquaintances, right? It's a lesser vision of the church. It's a lesser joy that is offered to you and to me. It is a lesser glory for Christ. That's why Jesus has purchased for us a brotherhood. That's why, this is why we put up with somebody else's drama and get into the midst of somebody else's mess because grace has built a bridge that overcomes all of it. We need to move past acquaintances to brotherhood. We need to move past acquaintances to brotherhood. You see, connecting, connection is committing to one another. Connection is committing to one another. It's not mindlessly listening to someone so that you can get on about the conversation and get on to Jack's and get through it. It's, it's, not about, uh, it's, it's not about throwing them a few dollars and forgetting about it. It's about following up with them and, making, and, and trying to do the best that you can to put their feet on solid ground for the long haul. It's not just simply listening to someone about their depression. It's getting into the middle of their life and walking with them until they get to the light. As long as it takes, as hard as it is, as messy as it gets, as long, late as the nights might be, it's walking with them until they get to the other side of it. You see, the depth of our connection reveals the degree to which grace has taken hold of us. The depth of our connection reveals the degree to which grace has taken hold of us. It's a stubborn insistence to take care of one another. Do you notice that Paul... Check this out. Verse 16, he says, even, even in Thessalonica, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Doesn't Paul almost sound surprised by how much Philippi loves him? He sounds surprised, doesn't he? Even in Thessalonica, you kept loving me. You kept pursuing me. You kept being consistent. You were committed to me. You were committed to me. I think our world is more surprised by how little the church cares by, than by how much they care. I think most Christians, I think that's been their experience. I think, I think most Christians in the life of the church are surprised by how little the church that bears Jesus' name actually cares about them rather than being in Paul's position where he's stunned, 
stunned by how much the Philippians love him. You see, true connection is a spiritual discipline. True connection is a spiritual discipline. Think about this. Just, just what we see right here, okay? So he would have been in Philippi, right? There would have been a Philippi. He would have, they, they would have bonded. We, we would expect Philippians to be bonded with Paul in Philippi, right? But then it's even in Thessalonica. Thessalonica was the next town over. He, Paul moves over a town. They don't stop producing. They don't stop providing for him. They don't stop ministering him, even in Thessalonica. Then, 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 it's for when I left Macedonia. Both Thessalonica and Philippi are a part of the region of Macedonia. Paul leaves Philippi, goes to Thessalonica. They love him. They minister him. Now he leaves the entire region of Macedonia to go to another region and to move forward and advance the European, the European missionary voyage. And you know what? They said, we're, we're going. We're with you. We can't travel. We have almost nothing. Here's everything that we have. Let us alleviate your suffering. We are bound in grace. Let us go. It's powerful, man. It's powerful. You know what it would have been easiest and most natural for them to do? To let Paul be out of sight and out of mind. That would have been easy. It would have been justifiable. Not a single one of us would have even picked up on the flag, would we? We said, well, yeah, you know, he was their responsibility while he was there. And then when he moved on, other churches took responsibility for him. Except Philippi didn't let itself off the hook like that. Even though there was the obstacle of their poverty, even though there was the obstacle of geography and space, they continued. See, obstacles, obstacles either give you the excuses that you're looking for, or they give you the opportunities to show the depth of your love. Obstacles either give you the excuses that you're looking for, or they give you the opportunities to show the opportunity to show the true depth and degree of your love. As long as I've been a Christian, I don't know of another time in the church in which we have had greater obstacles and greater opportunities to show the depth of our connection than right now. We're not able to do groups. We're not able to meet regularly. The services are weird. Like, you're even at the 11 o'clock, which is the least attended, right? Like, like it, it would be easy. It would be easy to let all of your brothers and sisters become out of sight and out of mind. And man, it's a battle that I fight because I don't want to do that. And I still find myself even allowing people un unintentionally become out of sight and out of mind. But connection is a discipline. It's a discipline. It's me refusing to let you fall through the cracks. It's you refusing to, to let one another not be acknowledged and looked after. And it's an opportunity. If you teach a connection group, it's an opportunity to show them they're more than a class. They're a brotherhood. If you lead a D group, it's the same thing. If you work with, with children or you work with students, it's an opportunity to show those parents how engaged you are. It's, a, it's an opportunity to show that child or that teenager that you're not just another adult going to check out on them. That would, be, that would be acceptable right now. It would even be understood right now. But it wouldn't be grace. It wouldn't be a brotherhood. It would be something less. You know, we're the church. And as the church, we know intellectually, we know theologically that we are not alone. We know that Jesus is with us always to the very end of the age. We know that. We know that Jesus, by his grace, has brought us. We know that. But even though we know that we're not alone, a lot of times it still feels like it, doesn't it? It still feels like you can come into a big sanctuary filled with people and sit and be totally lonely. 
let us, let us follow the example of Philippians. Let us heed the call of grace and say, not on my watch. Not on my watch. Not on my watch will someone, one of my brothers or my sisters, come and be alone. Let us put ourselves out there. Let us, let us receive one another well. Let's walk over the bridge of grace. Let's connect together. Let's pray together. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. And we would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.